Welcome to the Media Insider, the podcast which gives you the secrets on how to get into the media. Every episode, I interview a commissioning editor or producer about exactly what stories and interviews they commission for their pages or programme and how you can pitch to them. I'm your host, Helen Croydon. I'm an author, a former journalist, and now I run a small PR practice called ThoughtLeadershipPR.com, helping business leaders, academics, entrepreneurs and public figures become better known as experts in their field. If you like this podcast, please tell your colleagues, share it on social media. That's how others find it. This episode, I'm taking a bit of a turn. Usually, I interview editors from the media on how to get your stories into their publications. Today, we're following the same theme of pitching, but this time I'm speaking to a literary agent about pitching your book idea. So, I'm very pleased to introduce Andrew Lowney. He's run his agency since 1988. He's published several thousand books and has 200 authors. Specializes in a range of non-fiction, particularly biography and memoir. Thanks for joining me, Andrew. It's a pleasure. Nice to be on the program. I've got you on today because, well, I want to talk about pitching. You know, normally I speak to journalists about pitching because they are always approached by people who want to get their messages in the media. But I'm sure that you are also pitched to a lot because there are many, many people who want to get their um, their books published. So um, before I go into, you know, what makes a book and what you commission for, is that true? Do you get pitched to a lot? Yes. I mean, I prefer being pitched to by email. Um, and I have a little form that I like in terms of proposal, which I put on the, on the um, website. But yeah, there's still probably over 100 submissions a day. A day. Which, uh, I will take on maybe six to 12 a year. So it's quite high. I mean, it's quite a lot of the journalists, I should say. I like representing journalists because they write well, they are disciplined, they have a good eye for a story. Uh, the problem is that a lot of journalists don't really write books. They write extended forms of journalism. Uh, and the problem with publishers is they want books that will last. And so many of these subjects are clearly overtaken by events. So uh, I, I'm doing fewer journalists than I used to. But certainly a lot of journalists are moving on to non-fiction subjects, a bit of fiction. So just give us an overview then of um, what sort of things you do cover. I know you specialise in biography and memoir, but can you just give us a top line overview of what you would take on in an author? Well, I mean, what I'm looking for is clearly an ability to write uh, a, a story, which I think I, or a book I can sell. So it has to say, perhaps say something new, new information, a new take on a subject, uh, uh, I'm looking at someone who who has exp- probably got some sort of plat- what we call platform or profile to help pitch it. Clearly, someone who's who's keen to sell their book, as opposed to someone who assumes it's all going to happen. But in the case of the publisher, is more attractive. But it's just something that takes my interest. If if I feel I can sell it, if I can think of an editor to whom I can send this that they will buy, like it, then I'm inclined to take it on. Quite often, I get things which are extremely good, but they don't interest me or I just can't think where they'll go, or I know we're only going to sell four or 5,000 copies. Um, I like things which have serial rights or that can be sold abroad. Anything that, in a sense, the maximum amount of, of um, outlets that it has. So something clearly with an appeal in the States, um, China's now a big market. Those things will, will be much more attractive. So, for example, pop psychology and business, which I don't do much of, is very popular in China. And so I might look quite carefully at one of those because I know I could sell that there. 
Okay, just um, outline what you mean by serial rights. Some people might not know what that means. Serial rights are the extract rights in newspapers, and a lot of papers, particularly the mail, rely on them. They used to be huge. Often you would get more for the extract rights than you would for the book. I mean, hundreds of thousands of pounds. Uh, now you're lucky if you get £20,000 and more likely more like £1,000. But it's good publicity. It, it gives credibility to the book. It raises its profile. It leads to other bits of the media getting in touch. So um, Cyril, even if it's not now a money earner for most people, is still a very good publicity uh, element. Okay. Now, could you give me an overview of what the typical process might be for a wannabe author pitching to you? Perhaps some listeners may not understand the distinction between pitching to an agent versus pitching directly to a publisher. So maybe you could just outline a typical process and how long that might take. Well, I mean, I I would recommend that you try and find uh, an agent. I mean, they'll always get you a better deal with a publisher. Publishers do take advantage of people without agents. Uh, and it's not just the headline terms, the advances and the royalties, but often the small print, which can really catch people later on. They don't realize, uh, you know, most books, uh, uh, agents are not going to take on. It's not com- sufficiently commercial for them, but it's always worth a punt. And what I ask for is, is I recommend people look at my website, which is just they just put in my name, Andrew Loney, and it will come up. And there's a lot of advice there about, in fact, pitching uh, and uh, I write the article for the Writers and Arts Yearbook on writing proposals. So if you get that, that will give you some more advice. But I also have on the website how to submit. And I ask people to basically produce a one-page pitch, to, to which is if only the, the editor reads one page, that will tell them everything. And then to layer it. So we'll have a second page which will explain their credentials uh, for writing the book. We'll have a third page on the competing and comparable literature, showing how it's positioned in the market and the categories. We may have a fourth page on the sources, particularly the primary sources, and the fifth page on the marketing. So uh, how are we going to promote this through particular specialist websites and organizations? And we layer it because there may be 30 or 40 people in an editorial meeting. Most of them won't bother reading beyond the first page. Uh, And so what you want to do is to to draw people in, to give them what they need to know as quickly as possible. And then if they want more information, they just continue reading. So the next stage after this preliminary four or five pages is you would have a chapter synopsis, probably half a page per chapter. So probably about 20 20 pages, sorry, 10 pages, 20 chapters. uh, And that will then give you the, the structure of the book. And that's useful for me, too. I mean, when you're pitching to me, you're in effect doing the, the, giving me the information for me to pitch the publisher. And therefore, if there's a problem, for example, about the structure of the book, it started in the wrong way. I mean, for example, I like nice dramatic um, first chapters to take us into the story, that's something that's revealing, uh, rather than just straight in, you know, so-and-so was born on the 5th of November. So often you can just see that from that and you can recommend how it can be changed uh, You then want to see examples of the writing. So we'll want some sample chapters and we'll want them from the beginning of the book, literally chapters one and two. If you're not confident enough about the first two chapters, which after all is how people are going to start reading the book, then that's not a good sign. And of course, writing, you know, a chapter, putting in a chapter from the middle of the book is very confusing because, of course, there's quite a lot of information that will have already been given in the earlier chapters. So that's the format. It's all on the website. And I'll look at that, uh, and then if I think it's got potential, I'll come back to you, perhaps make some suggestions. I'll perhaps put it out to a reader for a second opinion. 
Uh, and then if I take you on, uh, I'll uh, send you a contract, one-page contract that the Agent Association um, has set up. Uh, and then we'll put details on the website and I'll start pitching. And that, you know, sometimes you can sell a book overnight. Um, sometimes it takes seven years. It did with a couple of my most successful authors. It's just a matter of timing, finding the right person at the right time. Can I just rewind a little bit to the uh, the synopsis? The, and that's stage one, right? That's when the wannabe authors pitch to you. So do you work with them to create that synopsis or is it completely up to them to have a perfect synopsis when they pitch to you cold? No, I will give them feedback on the synopsis. I mean, I, I you know, if, if it's really becoming a, a real labour and they haven't really got it, I may send them samples so they can see how it's done. Um, I will sometimes sell them, send them a copy of the article in the Writers and Artists Yearbook because that lays out the reasons behind the structure. You know, I do try and give them feedback on what they're doing. I mean, there is a knack to these proposals. I think one of the problems is people often submit too early. The books are under-researched and it's very difficult to write a proposal. You know, for example, going on a, on a, on a, a, writing a travel book, you can't write a proposal until you've done the journey. So there's a lot of people trying to, to sell things before they're ready to, to, they're not cooked, shall we say, as Boris would say. Once they've submitted and I've taken it on, then I will start submitting to publishers. I tend to do it in waves. Um, I will perhaps try four or five of the obvious ones, get some feedback, perhaps get it out there. And then if we're getting some momentum and traction, I may then bring in other people. Uh, or at least get an offer, and then at least I have an offer to leverage with other offers. If we're getting feedback that people don't like it, then we can take that into account, having not, in a sense, taken everyone off our submission list, and then try a, a fresh round with something that's adapted. Because, of course, you can't go back to people, the same people twice. You only have one go at them. And you mentioned that you get um, a reader to look at some of the synopsis. So what sort of a person is a reader and do you have to pay them or does it the, or does the author submitting have to pay them? No, I, I cover all the costs. Um, uh, and so often I'm out of pocket if I don't sell the book or I sell it for very little. But I will pay the reader who's, I have one principal reader who's um, actually a, a best-selling non-fiction author uh, um, himself. He's a novelist. He has a PhD from Cambridge. And he's very experienced. He knows the market. And so he will give me very good feedback. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I've been doing this a long time. So I, you know, kind of know what works in the market and doesn't. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. But often I'll, I'll get a second opinion, something where I can't quite see what's wrong, but, but he may have an idea how to fix it. So we try to be as careful, you know, as helpful as possible. But in the end, I'm looking for books I can sell. I'm not a sort of uh, a, a free agency to give feedback, which is what a lot of people expect. You know, if you go to a lawyer, you're paying £350 an hour. If you come to me, I don't earn until we sell the book. And that, you know, can, can sometimes never happen or it can take years of investment. Yes. And I suppose it's like back in the day, because I'm an author and I've worked with you as a literary agent. And I suppose back in the day, a lot of authors would expect the literary agent to give them loads and loads of feedback because there was more money in it. So maybe there was more um, time available to give that. Well, I do try and, you know, I do spend most of my time reading and giving feedback. Actually, the pitching, if it's if we get it right, the pitching shouldn't be difficult. But it is, it is about allocating time. You know, I only can spend so much time in a book. If it's going to, to bring rewards, then it's worth spending the time. Uh, and there are plenty of books. In the old days, I would, uh, pretty much everything I took on, I sold. Now I would say it's more like 60, 70 percent. 
Um, so plenty of things that I think are very saleable just are not being picked up or being picked up for a lot less money than I expected. Uh, and that's just the market or tastes um, which are changing. We're going to get onto that a little bit, actually, um, the, the market and, and the tastes. I just want to get touch a little bit about any, um, what are your pitching donors? Because you say you get 100 a day. That's phenomenal. So what are some of the things that you notice in pitches that you just think, oh, no. Well, anyone who tells me that their mother likes it, that's not a great thing because every mother likes whatever their child writes. Um, <laughs> anyone who's too bombastic, hyperbole, um, uh, who's arrogant, you know, you want somebody who will present their book in the best possible light, but in some ways um, is not going to be over egg it. You know, this is the best thing since sliced bread. Well, leave me to make that decision. I like them to get my name right. You know, often it's Mr. Looney or the Literacy Agency, the Litter Agency. You know, just those things are good. Um, don't tell me you've only written to one person when I can see in the CC thing it's written to 10 other people or you've addressed it incorrectly. Um, if you can show that you've come to me because you think I might be the right agent because of books I've done in the past, that's always quite flattering. If you say that you're the first person, the only person you're submitting to, that's quite flattering. If you say, I'm sending this to 50 other agents, you kind of wonder, well, why should I sit up late one night reading this when I've got one in 50 chance of, of reading it? Um, I, I wouldn't say that it's been to 500 agents already because and been turned down because probably there's a good reason for that. It's not going to encourage me. Good grammar, um, keeping it short, thinking of the format so, you know, there's nothing much I can do with a book of 20,000 words or a book of 500,000 words. You know, the format is roughly 80 to 130,000 words. Right. So, you know, think of ju just basic things like that. Um, give me what I ask for. Don't tell me, you know, here's the book. I can't be bothered to do the proposal. You know, if I've asked for a proposal, there's a good reason. Uh, and you're not helping yourself because they will just come straight back. Um, quite often, you know, for example, today I got uh, something through the post, you know, and I had to pay money to, to, I had to pay because I hadn't put enough stamps on it. Oh gosh. That doesn't start off the relationship very well. Sometimes things come that are covered in sellotape and that's always a sign to me of a completely mad person. <laughs> you know, well, I have to cut myself opening up the parcel. <laughs> People who pitch on the phone. You know, I don't like because in some ways all these books are going to be sold on the strength of the written word and the proposal. So you're best to pitch it like that to me because that's how I'm going to pitch it to to others. Everyone thinks that it's all on the phone call to people, but it's not. It's 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 because so many people have to read it. It has to be on email. It has to be. Uh, it's going to be circulated. So the good old days, we went out to lunch, shook hands, and, and walked back with the deal. Those days have gone. Um, and so people need to, to give the agent, and they have different things that they want. A lot of fictional agents want the first three or four chapters. I think what I would say is, is don't send the thing off too early, um, not just under research, but underwritten. You know, what will sometimes happen is, is I'll get a proposal, it's very good, and then I'll say, can I see the rest of it? And they say, sorry, I haven't finished it. It'll be another four years. And, you know, that's not much good because editors, you know, once they get excited, want to be able to follow through with something quickly. Um, get the thing read by other people. Get it out to literary manuscript evaluation companies. Get second opinions. Mm. You know, get it into the best possible form before you submit. Because don't just treat me as a reader. Treat me as, as, as getting it absolutely right like I would be an editor. Um, and clearly, if I say no, move on, you know, just the way when an editor turns things down, I don't 
go after them, say, gosh, you're stupid. Uh, I just accept that they are stupid and, and go to another publisher and, you know, the revenge will come when it's a bestseller elsewhere. Do you get that then? People try and change your mind when you say no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have people coming back and, you know, occasionally I'll look, but I mean, to be honest, if it, if it, if it is, you know, often it's the concept, it's not the, deli- the execution. It's just, I don't do books, you know, I don't know, a woman from prison in the States, I don't know, doing something. I don't do that. She's better with an American agent or I don't do very much popular science. I don't do commercial women's fiction. So there's no point coming to me. I don't know who the editors are. I'm not going to take it on. I'm not going to be the best person for that. It is strategic. It is the the first thing that publishers will do if you've been published before is look at your sales figures. And if your sales figures are poor, um, it's going to be very difficult to sell you into booksellers who will again look at those sales figures and say, oh, God, they didn't sell well last time. They probably won't sell well this time. Now, that may be very unfair. It may be a very different book. But um, people self-publishing books often do themselves a lot of damage because they then say, you know, I've done this. Here's a second book, Uh let's say, in a series. And they'll see the first book didn't do well. Uh, and it'll be really hard to sell. Oh, that's interesting. I have a couple of clients who have self-published first book and then want to get a second book. So that that's very interesting. With the process, so you mentioned that, uh, you know, they a writer's not expected to write the whole thing and submit the whole thing. So say they do this perfect synopsis with three sample chapters and you get a publishing deal. What's the sort of, does then, does the publisher then say, okay, you've got six months to write it? Well, normally what happens is you will say how long it's when you're going to to deliver. Um, so you may well say, "I'm going to, you know, I can deliver this in six months' time." Uh, and publishers like to know it's coming in because they'll do their publishing uh, program based on that. You know, they say you're coming in in May. They're going to aim to publish you probably in February the following year. It's normally about nine months to a year. Uh, and then you suddenly get in touch with them in May and say, "Sorry, it's going to be September." That throws everything because they're selling into booksellers often six months in advance. They may have catalogs. Certainly when we had physical catalogs, they were done at least six months in advance. So it throws everything and it gets it, it gives a book, in a sense, a bad vibe and people lose interest in it. What you want to do is keep that momentum going. Uh, every, you know, that it, it just it builds and builds, people getting more and more excited. If there's some things happening where things are going wrong, it's very difficult to get people excited again and also to trust the author. So that's why I'm a great believer in finishing the book before you submit. Then everyone knows what they're buying. It's there. They can make their plans uh, and then they can bring it out. Now, the different type that we have two publishing seasons the autumn which is basically july to january which is when the christmas gift book comes out the cookery book the celebrity memoirs the booker prize winners books that are going to sell well at christmas gift books military the books for dad the military history the john le carries all that the the spring list which is which really runs from january to july is the books that need a bit more room to breathe that will need perhaps a bit more attention in the media or in the bookshops uh clearly we'll have diet books in january uh, we'll have commercial fiction and paperback in the summer of the beach reads. So there are little times when we'll put books out. But if there's, for example, a first-time uh, author or a slightly more difficult subject, they will they will put books out um, in that spring list. The, oh, I didn't know that. The one exception to that, and which is a slot I quite like, is is August, which is when actually my books tend to come out. Because you've got, though a lot of the, the media is shut down on holiday, 
and therefore you can't get on a lot of the programs. You have a much better chance of getting attention in the press, much more chance of getting the bestseller list, much more chance of a serial deal. And then you can work through to the uh, literary festivals that run through, particularly in September and October, to build that momentum up to the Christmas sale. Interesting. Um, so you can sell probably four or five times as many books in the run-up to Christmas as you can in, in let's say, in April. So you may find that you you, you deliver, let's say, in September, uh, uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be published, uh, let's say, the following June, uh, because it may not fit the slot. They may actually hold, keep you going until the following January, and there's a lot of that. The Americans will will often leave quite a big gap uh, between the delivery and publication. The other problem we've got now with Amazon is they want simultaneous publication. People can now buy books through the book depository uh, um, to circumvent territorial rights. So the Americans would like to coordinate their publication with the British. The old days we had the reviews from the British, stuck them on the back cover of the Americans, and they used that. Now they basically have to come out at the same time. So books are still selling then? Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing is that, I mean, even though bookshops you know, were shut at Christmas uh, and that cost a lot of authors a lot of sales. Um, for example, I had a book coming out, which was a was a, was a, a Watson selection for Christmas. Uh, and we lost, we think, about 40,000 sales wow. there. So there can be huge differences. But the sales are up. I think we've seen more people reading in lockdown, more people clearly buying off Amazon. And the publishers are all recording um, improved sales, interestingly mm. enough. In e-books, is it, or in print books? Well, in print as well, you know, the, the people just got them from uh, online rather than from the bookshop. And what's happened, uh, according particularly to Penguin, is what was uh, was happening already, uh, has, which was going to take 10 years, the move from bookshops to digital, to online sales, has basically happened in the space of 10 months. But, you know, we saw certain books doing well. People were homeschooling, so any books that related to that would sell well. People were looking for escapism, um, perhaps maybe travel because they couldn't travel, or, or there were people cooking at home, so cookbooks sold well. So, you know, it did reflect what was going on. We saw other other genres not doing quite so well. Yeah. So what is, um, and I know, I know this is going to be a bit like how long's a piece of string, but what is these days classed as a good figure of books to sell? Well, it, it, it depends, you know, it, it, it's good. It depends who it's good for. Um, it, it's good for the publisher if they've earned out the advance. If they've paid a million and they've sold a million, but they still lost money, that's not a great result. But clearly the author's happy. They've at least got a million. Um, I, I would think you need to sell 40,000 copies in hardback. I would say 100,000 in paperback. Wow. But, you know, you can get into the bestseller list with 5,000 copies in a week. But it's it's also the cumulative sales. You know, people go in and out of the bestseller list. They have a, perhaps a huge fan base. They have a good social media following. They get in and then they come out. The key is sometimes to just keep ticking away. You're on Amazon around 500 of, uh, and then but that goes on and on and the sales live on. They say the shelf life of a book is about the same as milk. So plenty of those books that go into bookshops come out within within two weeks. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, my I've had three books now and mine are not in bookshops anywhere anymore. So there's no. still on Amazon. It's cruel. It is a very cruel world. They're not saying they go back. It is.
And so one final question on books, and this is probably the question that lots of readers want to know. How much advance can a first-time author expect to get? Well, everyone thinks they're going to get rich from publishing. Um, I'm afraid, you know, there are a few winners. They tend to be the people who already have a big following. So I'm thinking Richard Osman has done very well. He's sold a million copies of his Thursday Murder Club. Um, and so he's probably made, um, you know, a million seven-figure sum. But most people, if you're lucky if you get an advance, you're lucky if you get more than £1,000 advance. I've seen advances over the last 35 years go down, not just in real terms, but but just just down. I used to not take on books that weren't going to sell for £10,000. Now I'm selling plenty of books at two, £3,000. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but the thing is also, there are plenty of books that you know, bought at £1,000 but carry on selling. And that's what's happened. In the past, people, publishers were part of big conglomerates. They were going for market share. They were doing a lot of lost leaders. They were taking a punt on 10 books and hope one would work, particularly with celeb memoirs. And they would spend huge sums of money and then write it off. Now they're much more cautious. They will tend to only buy books that they've costed and know that they will get that money back from their first print run, which may be quite modest. So the advances have gone down, but you may well find that the the sales long term um, are are actually quite good. And that's what you want. We're literally in the week of the royalties now. Um, And probably about a quarter of my income now comes from royalties. So those are books. That, that, you know, are continuing to sell right. sometimes 20, 30 years on. You know, not huge sums, £100 here, £100 yeah. there. But when you spread that over 200 books, um, then that's that's reasonable income. Yeah, yeah. So what are the trends that the editors are looking for now? Well, you know, what's often mirrored in the press will be reflected in, in by commissioners. Now, that doesn't mean um, that commissioners get it right. Commissioners are only following their own tastes. And I think one of the problems now is that everything is a, is a, a, a collegiate decision. And that often is the lowest common denominator. If one person doesn't want a book, it gets knocked out. So we're seeing, for example, fewer books being commissioned uh, on male subjects, things like um, military history, uh, Westerns, things like that, that actually, when they're self-published, do very well. And when we've pushed them through, other outlets have done well. But the majority of people commissioning and publishing now are female and they will often follow their own tastes. That's interesting. One final question that's not book related. So I'm quite interested in productivity, how people work. And I work with you, Andrew, because you you were my literary agent for a long time. And one thing I've noticed about you is that you always reply to emails so quickly. And I'm sure you must also, you know, with your job, which I imagine you're nose deep in books a lot of the time and I'm just curious to how you work and how you manage it all. Right well I mean I, I'm a great believer that you know every email should get answered I think the author's you know the, it's only courteous to respond and try and be as helpful as possible it's much easier to respond at the time than to at least acknowledge something than to do nothing I mean one of the sad things I think is, is the fewer people respond or often to publishers I pitch to who've even asked to see books they don't even respond don't give me an answer I spend a lot of time chasing people uh, and sometimes I just have to give up um, and a lot of authors you know say gosh thank you for responding no one else has which I think is awful but I do I work I start probably you know at eight in the morning and I work from home I work till seven and I'll often come back after supper and work 
Uh, and I do that seven days a week and I have for 35 years. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. That is a lot. There's a lot more that one now does as an agent to get people going. There are many more outlets uh, and there the are many more submissions coming in because in the old days when people posted mm -hmm. things, you know, they might send off 10 things. Now they can just press a, a switch and it goes off to 200 agents. So we're all in some ways looking at the same books, more of us. And you can tell, can you, when someone does that, when they hit a button and it's gone to a hundred different agents, can you? Generally, because, you know, the, the more personalised the approach, the, the more seriously I'll take it. And I do the same with editors. I don't say, here's a book I think might interest you. I'll say, you published this book very well. Um, you know, I know you're interested in this, this or that. I actually have card indexes of people's interests. So I know... If an editor has just had a baby, she may be more interested in a baby book. Oh. If someone's interested in sailing, they might be interested in a sailing book. Someone's just been on holiday to, to the Bahamas might be interested in the Bahamas book. So, oh, geez, And you keep all those details of the editors. I do. It's probably maybe a bit sinister. But, you know, it is about the match. And then they, they of course, will then pers hopefully persuade their colleagues. What you want is the one enthusiast in the house that will, that will G up their colleagues. And often, you know, the, the books will get through because an editor is very persuasive or passionate about a book. Uh, and if someone is a bit half-hearted uh, and not maybe very interested in their job, uh, then, you know, you know you, you're never going to get that book through that editor. And so you try and avoid those ones. Yeah. You know, some are really good at publishing. Um, others are very good at enthusing their colleagues and getting them going. Andrew Lowney, thanks so much for sharing all that. That's really, really useful. Pleasure. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to The Media Insider. Please share this podcast or rate it on your podcast app. That's how others find it. If you're keen to get into the media or get your message and expertise more widely known, then visit thoughtleadershippr.com and see how I could help. Or find me on Twitter. Just search Helen Croydon. Good luck with your pitching.